Let's open our Bibles to Psalm 27 this morning. Now, if you remember, a year or so ago, we started to, to work through psalms, and I said, well, it would be 10 or 15 years before we uh, cover all, all the psalms, and uh, it will probably take at least that long, because we're not doing it all, all the time. We come in and out of the psalms, and like this psalm, we're only going to do the first six verses uh, this time, and then we'll come back and do the, the second half at another time, uh, because they kind of form... Um, they say the same thing twice because we'll see that in the first six verses um, David uh, says this and we don't know if there's a break of any time between six and seven. My guess is that there is this chronologically there's this break and David has to come back and revisit the same t- subject because he's just kind of gotten lazy about it and, and we'll see what I'm talking about in just a moment. So if you're able would you stand with me. And we'll read the first six verses of Psalm 27. Heavenly Father, come upon our hearts this morning and open our eyes to this wonderful word that we might understand what David says and what he has written and and the the issues of his life that that pushed him to to say these things. Lord, that we might understand them and, and have them in our own hearts that you might be our light and and our stronghold, that we might rest in you and and your beauty. Open our eyes to these things, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So Psalm 27, verses 1 through 6. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me, in spite of all this, I shall be confident. One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. And I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. Now, if you go to the internet and, and search for things such as, I want the five ways to understand God, or the five ways to know God's will, or the five ways to, for this and, and that, whatever it would be, there is no shortage of individuals who will tell you, here are the five steps to understanding God's will in your life. And you think, man, it's this easy? And you go and you, and you do those and, and you think, well, I don't know God's will any more than I did before I was on step one. And, and he, he or she makes it look so easy in their steps that it must be my problem. I must not be doing it right. Why can't I find God's will in my life? Why can't I understand God? I mean, it seems so simple. It's like people who have, who have children that, that you think are just, they're just perfect, you know? Like we were when we were younger. We, 
they just they, they obey their parents. They just they sit quietly when it's appropriate. They talk and, and they look the adults in the eye and they have good conversations and all this. And those people write books about how to be parents and how to raise their children. And you look at that book and you think, well, it worked for them. I'm going to put those steps to use with my kids. And you're, they come out crazy, you know. Why, why, why can't you sit quietly for just one moment? And, you know, and, and we think, well, it must be our problem because it worked there. Well, David's got a problem, and he's going to tell us how to solve it. Okay? But it's not just five things on how to solve it. It is not just a list. If you do A, B, C, and D, your life will come out perfectly. If you do one, two, three, and four, then you'll never fear. Okay? It's not quite that, but it is very very simple. David gives us advice on overcoming fear, and his advice is turn to the Lord. Oh, why didn't I think of that? Just turn to the Lord. Uh, We'll see. It's, It's not quite as simplistic as we make it out to be, but yes, it is very simple at the same time. We might think, well, David, you don't understand my fears. You don't understand what's going on in my life. So when I read this, obviously this is for another time and not for me at this time. But remember who David is, who David was. He's a man after God's own heart, chosen above his older brothers to be anointed king over Israel. He became one of the greatest kings. He was the warrior. And he isn't talking about this from an ivy tower setting where it's all kind of academic and ethereal and this is just the way that you do it. And No, this is real life. And that's, that's one of the joys of the Psalms, that David writes so much of these Psalms from his experiences. This is what I did. This is how stupid I was. This is how I struggled with this. This is what the Lord did time and time and again. He just watched over me. David knew what he was talking about. Look at verse 2. Evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh. They're breathing out violence. If you look down in verse 12, do not deliver me over to the desires of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. Remember uh, last week uh, in the psalm, they hated David with a violent hatred, a violent hatred. Nothing in, in Psalm 27, nothing would have made David's enemies happier than to find his head on a pike, you know, that they knew that they had killed David um, or knew that they had, had gone, finally gotten rid of this guy. But yet David says in the midst of this, my heart will not fear. The wars rise against me in, fight, in spite of this. David had this great confidence in the Lord. This wasn't pie-in-the-sky confidence. This was confidence built on his experience again and again and again of the Lord following through on his promises to David. So maybe he knows what he's talking about. David is not giving us a formula. Okay, I want you to understand this. This is not a five-step formula. David isn't dispensing a formula. David is dispensing a plan for our lives. A plan for our lives. And the eventual outcome or fruit of that plan is a life that is lived in confidence before the Lord. David isn't making God a good luck charm that you, know, you just keep in your pocket. And every once in a while you just reach in there and feel it. And you go, oh yes, I know, I know God's with me. I got him in my pocket. No, that's not what he's talking about. David is talking about an entire and total way of life that is focused on God and which clings to God with a stubborn faith, even facing the most desperate situations. This is what he is talking about. 
So the structure of the psalm, as I said, kind of fits with, with what David is going on uh, along with. you got verses 1 through 6. And then he kind of, uh, you know, fears kind of rear their ugly head every so often. And sometimes we, put, we can put a fear down or we can, we can grow in that confidence and we're good with it. And then later in life, maybe that same fear comes up and we have to learn to do it again and deal with it again. So 1 through 6 is David dealing with this. And then 7 through the end of the chapter is David dealing with it again. Okay, David dealing with it again. But we're just going to do the first six verses on this morning. So we need to remember as we come to this passage that David is, is the warrior king. I mean, he knew how to fight a battle and he was not shy about going into battle himself. So he was a mighty warrior. As a teenager, he had killed Goliath. When the rest of the Israelite army said, no, I'm not going up there. Because remember, Goliath came out and he taunted the Israelites and he said, send your best guy out and we'll have at it. And whoever wins, that army is the victor. Well, uh, David shows up. Remember, he's just delivering food to his older brothers who are the ones in the army. And he sees this, what do you call him, this uncircumcised Philistine taunting the living God. Well, that was more than David could stand. So he goes out there. Saul says, he goes to Saul, says, okay, I'll go out and fight Goliath. And Saul, who was what, head, head above everybody else. So he was a big guy. He says, well, okay, nobody else is going to do it. So he tries to give David his armor, and, and the armor is too big. And so David takes off the armor of man, and he goes out dressed in what armor? It's the armor of God, okay? That's all he's got. He's got that sling, and uh, this wasn't the first time David had ever picked up a sling. Remember, he killed the lion and killed the bear that tried to eat the sheep. He goes out there, and the last thing that goes through Goliath's head was that stone. Okay? Boom, he goes down. David takes the sword, lops him off. So David knew about fighting. He knew about trusting the Lord. So we think that Psalm 27 was written when Saul was trying to get him. Now, I think it was like 17 years Saul pursued him through the wilderness, or 17 years between he was anointed king and when he became king, a lot of those years were spent of Saul trying to kill David and pursuing him through the wilderness. Now, Saul's got, or David's got uh, some guys with him, uh, and they've been through a lot of battles uh, and scrapes. So it would have been easy for David to just say, hey, I got my, my strong guys, my mighty men with me. We're not afraid. But he doesn't rely upon them. He says his confidence is in the Lord. He affirms his defense in the Lord alone. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? So he gives us three things here in this first section right here. Uh, three ways that David describes how he understands God. And first he says, God is my light. God is my light. Now God is often associated with light in the Bible. But this is the only direct application of the name of God in the Old Testament being named light. Okay, the only time we see that. Job speaks of heaven as the abode of light. Uh, let's turn over a couple pages to Psalm 104. And we'll look at the way that the, it's used there in Psalm 104. Psalm 
When we get to the New Testament, we see a, a, a lot more talk about light, especially in John's Gospel and in John's writing. So in the Gospel of John, in the Epistles, First Epistle of John especially, and in Revelation, we see, remember, in Revelation, the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. So we see a little different application of light in the New Testament. Here in the Old Testament, Psalm 104, the very first uh, four verses. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, thou art very great. Thou art clothed with splendor and majesty, covering thyself with light as with a cloak, stretching out heaven like a tent curtain. He lays the beams of his upper chamber in the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He walks upon the wings of the wind. He makes the winds his messengers, flaming fire his ministers. So it's as if the Lord puts on nature as his, his dressing, so to speak. He says he clothes himself in light. And we think, uh, isn't light kind of see-through? I mean, isn't it, isn't it kind of see-through? But, but it's a different type of light. It is this, this glorious light that the Lord has surrounding him. So we're talking about this, this suit that God wears that demonstrates his glory and it does so through the use of light. Again, in the New Testament, we find that Jesus is called uh, the light. The light shines in the darkness. John the Baptist says, I've come to bear witness to the light. In the first chapter of John, in the first chapter of 1 John, he says, God is light. In him there is no darkness. So we see light also has to do with an understanding. Ah, the light bulb went on. That kind of understanding as well. We see Paul teaches the only sovereign, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone is immortality, who dwells in inapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. John talks again and again about the light of Christ and the light of God, talking about purity. Okay, it's Because in darkness is sinfulness, in light is righteousness and purity. So David here is dealing with his enemies, and so it's probably a pretty dark time, so, so to speak. Um, so he has no fear, for God is the light that can dispel fear, even in the darkest times. Now notice God does not say he will get rid of the darkness, which would be great, wouldn't it? If God would just get rid of the darkness, get rid of our, our tension and trials and all those things, he just says you have no need to fear in the darkness. He will be the light in the midst of your darkness. So that's the first thing. He says that God is my light. Second, he says my God is my salvation. The Hebrew word means for salvation means deliverance. So he's probably thinking about deliverance from his current batch of enemies that are chasing him. Now we understand salvation comes only through Christ, comes from our Heavenly Father, through the finished work of Christ. Uh, so as David says, when he says, God is my light, he says he is my salvation. This is not some other God who's up there. This is David talking about his, the personal relationship that he has with the Heavenly Father. And imagine the creator of all things, the one who clothes himself in light, can be my light, my salvation. And then the third one is the stronghold of my life. Okay, the stronghold of my life. He personalizes it once again. And with David being a military leader, he often uses a lot of military words, such as stronghold, 
fortress, place of refuge, place of recovery. These are all the things that David understands the Lord to be. So David clearly needs some refuge from his foes. Look at verse 3. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. I shall be confident. Even if the enemy attacks, David says, hey, God is my stronghold. Why do I have to worry about these things? Proverbs 18, it says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. So seek the Lord in time of fear, and you'll find this security. Now, we go to the next section, this this 4 through 6, and this is a... uh, How do I want to say this? Look at verse 4. Look at verse 4. You'll understand it. We probably would not have written it this way. One thing I have asked from the Lord. Now now go back and look. Uh, The evildoers have come to devour my flesh, my adversaries, my enemies around me, the host encamped against me, the war arises. We might say one thing I've asked the Lord is to get me out of here. Okay, is is usually when we get into a trouble, when we look like we're in a trial or the world is pressing upon us, we pray to the Lord, Lord, can't you get me out of this? But that's not what David prays. One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. When was the last time you prayed that when you were really in dire need of the Lord to get you out of someplace, to get you out of some trouble? David doesn't pray for relief of that trouble. He says, I want to know you, Lord. I want to experience your beauty. I want to be in the temple with you and understand who you are on a deeper and more personal level. David realizes that the only deliverance that matters comes from drawing near to the presence of of our Heavenly Father. Now, he does it in a space. Okay, that's in, uh, and understand, in the Old Testament, um, the, the tabernacle, now the temple had not been built yet. Remember, David is the warrior king. Solomon is the one who's going to build the temple. David kind of starts to gather all the materials for it, but the Lord says, no, your son is going to build it. So that meant that the people still worshipped in a mobile peace in a tent that had gone through the desert and, and still could could be uh, taken down so he was he did not talk about this glorious temple he's talking about this tent but it was still the place where the lord dwelt so they associated the lord and closeness with the lord in particular with a particular space a sacred space now i know jesus comes along later and says well you can worship in spirit and in truth So, um, yeah, you can worship, in a sense, driving your car down the road, uh, listening to some Christian music and singing along, and and then, or maybe listening to to your favorite preacher, Randy Jenkins, on on download, okay? Something like that. But but it's not quite the same thing. Not quite the same thing. Now, you know, when when you you walk into this room, and, and maybe this is a generational thing, that I was always kind of taught when you walked in the sanctuary, you, 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 you talked a little bit quieter, okay? um, that you didn't run through the sanctuary. I can remember, I don't know why this event is burned into my consciousness, 
back in Houston when I was growing up. I went tearing through the sanctuary one, and one day, and this little old lady, just sweet as all get out, kind of put her hand out and said, now we can't run the sanctuary, Randy. Okay. I was like, I'd like, if I, like, she was the voice of God that, that convicted me at that moment. You can't run the sanctuary because it was a sacred space. Now, I don't mean to say that God is in here and he's not out in the hallway. That's not what I'm referring to. But as David talks about it, he wants to be in the space where he can best experience God's beauty, where he can best experience God's holiness. Because his request is that he wants to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And that's just not a physical house. He wants to dwell in the presence of the Lord and know him and know the, to meditate in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. He wants to know God in a, in a particular, intimate, and close way. And he says, I can do that when I'm in the tabernacle. Now, the whole purpose, not the whole purpose, one of the, law, one of the big purposes of building a cathedral in the Middle Ages with these, these soaring windows and this light and this big space was to have the people walk in and have some sense of the awe of God. Now, we look at these windows, and, and maybe you've been here at the right time of day when the sun is blasting through, and they're just so bright and glorious. And, and, and it's just a window, and, and it's just a picture, but something in here tells you that this is a place that I need to be. This is a place where I can experience the beauty of our Heavenly Father and the glories of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because the Hebrews in the Old Testament connected the Lord and a space together. And that's where they best found him. Now the church is more than just instruction. It's more than just fellowship. If that's all that we were about, I mean, we could meet in the parking lot. And yes, if, if you know somebody dropped a match or something like that and it burned down, we could meet in the parking lot and worship. But there's something about a space that makes it, I don't know, makes it better, makes it, it's very subjective here, so I'm trying to explain that, that there's some sense of the beauty of the Lord in some spaces that we don't find in other spaces. And that's what David wants to experience. Beholding God's beauty points to being I emotionally caught up with the Lord. Not that we're run by our emotions, but there is some peace and there's some sense of, 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 of otherness when we worship God in a space that helps us understand that. Matthew Henry, the commentary writer from 1700, said it this way, The harmony of all God's attributes is the beauty of his nature. All of God's attributes come together and are demonstrated in the beauty of his nature. Most of us have had some aesthetic experience in nature where we've been emotionally caught up in God's creation. Maybe if you've traveled to the, the Grand Canyon or if you've seen the Rocky Mountains and you look and they're majestic and huge and we go, there must be a God that makes these things. But when David wanted to be caught up in the beauty and the majesty of God, he wanted to do it in a sacred space and he wanted to do it in the tabernacle where God dwelt. He wanted to be captivated by the beauty of the Lord. 
Now, I'm going to read from Jonathan Edwards for a moment. And this was not my experience at conversion. This was not my experience when I came to Christ. But this was Edwards' experience, and it ties in so perfectly with this song. Remember Jonathan Edwards, the great uh, New England preacher, uh, kind of sparked the, the first great awakening with his, his uh, plain and straightforward preaching, and people would throw themselves in the aisle seeking repentance. He talks about delighting in the beauty of the Lord as he first came to Christ. The first instance that I remember of that sort of inward sweet delight in God and divine things that I had lived much in since was on reading these words. We know these words well. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. As I read the words, there came into my soul and was, as it were, diffused through it, a sense of the glory of the divine being, a new sense quite different from anything I had ever experienced before. Never any words of Scripture seemed to me as these words did. I thought with myself how excellent a being that was and how happy that I should be if I might enjoy that God and be wrapped up in him in heaven and be, as it were, swallowed up in him forever. From about that time, I began to have a new kind of apprehensions and ideas of Christ and the work of redemption and the glorious way of salvation by him. An inward sweet sense of these things at times came into my heart and my soul was led away in pleasant views and contemplations of them. And my mind was greatly engaged to spend my time reading and meditating on Christ, on the beauty and excellency of his person and the lovely way of salvation by free grace in him. The sense I had of divine things would often of a sudden kindle up, as it were, a sweet burning in my heart, an ardor of my soul that I know not how to express. When I came to Christ, it was like a bore on the side of my head. Bam! I didn't see the beauty of Christ. I saw my sin. I saw that the only recourse I had was the way of salvation through Christ to confess my sin. My eyes were open to this. And I confess belief in Jesus Christ. Edwards, bored alongside the head, was from 1 Timothy 1.17, the immortal, invisible, God only wise. We sing that a lot. And it was this beauty of God that, that opened his eyes and, and, and he understood these things. He said, I love to, to think upon these things. Prayer seemed to be natural to me as the breath by which the inward burnings of my heart had vent. The delights which I now felt in those things of religion were of an exceeding different kind from those before when I was a boy. Now many of us grew up in the church and we came to Christ later in life. And we remember the days in the church and we were like, why didn't I understand these things then? Why didn't my heart burn within me when, when I used to go to church? Why is it now that after Christ has come into my life that these same things are a fire in my heart? Why are they so important to me? Why is it now that I can experience the beauty of Christ? I can experience the beauty of the Heavenly Father. I can walk into a sanctuary and, and just sense that this is a place where I can worship. A place where I can know my Heavenly Father. Edwards was a man caught up in the beauty of God. 
It's interesting that in the same section of Edward's writings, he writes how that before he was converted, he used to be deathly afraid of thunderstorms. But after he came to Christ, he would go outside and watch the majesty of God unfold in these great storms that would go on before him. Sweet contemplations of my great and glorious God. Beholding the beauty of God alleviated Edwards' fears. Now, perhaps not many of us are caught up with the Lord in the same way that Edwards was or David was. But the point still stands that we will overcome our fears to the extent that we focus upon him. We will have confidence in the Lord to the extent that we understand his beauty and his glory and understand what it's like to be close to him, to dwell in the Lord's presence and to behold his beauty all the days of our lives. So let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, you have given these words to David and he lays them out for us. This isn't a five-step plan to have confidence in you and, and to have security. It is a lifelong one step. Trust in you. Enjoy the beauty that you have. This is a life plan for us. And the more we do it, the more we practice it, the more we understand it, the more confidence that we have in you, the calmer that we are, the more that you come upon our hearts in a way that just speaks volumes of your beauty and your power. And if you have called us and you have cared for us enough to send your son to give his life for us, you will never let us go. For you have given this great sacrifice so that we might be brought back into your presence to know the forgiveness of sins, to know redemption, to know a life that the world around us just scratches their head at and and, and can't understand it. But yet because you have opened our eyes, there is a joy and a peace and a love and a beauty that the world just does not understand, but that can only be experienced when you come. Draw us unto yourself. You call us by name. You say, believe upon Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Repent of your sin and know this goodness and know his beauty. Lord, speak to our hearts today that these would be real in our heart. There would be no denying the realities of Christ and your call upon us. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.